0: Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the mid adult that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up.
1: By the way, if you listen to this on a new app called Entale, E-N-T-A-L-E, you will be able to see pictures, shop links and generally
0: have a really relaxing magazine-y experience. Hi, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but... Um, I went out last night, which is peculiar enough in itself, and I'm going out again tonight. (laughs) And I'm devastated by the thought of it. I feel like I have nothing to give. I'm snuffly. I think I'm getting a cold. I've got imposter syndrome. I know I'm going to, yes, I'm going to need days and days to recover. Two nights in a row, I've basically written my own death warrant. How are you, Em?
1: Uh, I'm fine. I went out two days in a row last week and basically I'm still like a wreck. Anyway, I'm absolutely fine, but I'm thinking of getting a cardigan. Um, I'm really, really want a cardigan, and but I know, I know deep in my soul that me, the way that I want to look wearing a cardigan, and the way that I will actually look wearing a cardigan are not the same You want to look like a
0: sort of ingenue widow standing on a windswept porch lamenting her lost lover, but you will look like...
1: I will look like I've possibly knitted it myself in the dark. (laughs) Um, No, and and, yeah, exactly. So no cool cardigan for me. Right. But um, now we know that not all heroes wear capes and some wear very short skirts and a lot of athleisure wear. They get cancer and instead of hiding away, they film and photograph themselves at all their lowest, most brutally intimate moments. They run to their treatments. They show the world how you can live, love, dance, cry, suffer and survive. And then, against all the odds, they find that they are cancer free welcome to the podcast the totally heroic deborah
2: james I feel like I have to <laughs> that's Yay. an awesome introduction oh, well. i love that I, I love the short skirt bit <laughs> well, one of my favorite things that, that
1: i've ever read about you was when you said that with the with the girls in your school when you were deputy head and we could talk about all of this later was like it, the, as that you'd only tell them off if their skirts were shorter than yours which was a massive
2: feat it was a you massive wear- feat <laughs> i was i would always be like girls seriously if your skirt Better shorter than mine, then we have a problem. (laughs) And if you are wearing better fake eyelashes than me, then we seriously have. (laughs) And then sometimes I'd be like, okay, you need to take them off, but can you just tell me where you got them from? (laughs) (laughs) Because they're really good. (laughs) Anyway,
1: anyway. how are you? Which seems like a monumental question to ask you, but how are you?
2: So I am absolutely fine, but um, it's coming back to haunt me. I have to be honest with you. I'm absolutely petrified of peacocks. (laughs) Not cancer, but (laughs) don't bring the peacocks near the lady. Actually, I went to Kew Gardens the other day. Um, I'm re- the reason it's on my mind is because I was walking around Kew Gardens a couple of days ago and I saw a peacock and I think they are out to get me. So when I was younger, this is very, very true. So Brownsey Island, so anyone that's been, to Brownsie I know Brownsey Island. Brownsie Island. Island. Yes, it's full of peacocks. <laughs> It's and a weird
0: little island is in Pool your, Harbour. In oh, harbour. You know, this is my it's secret your, life, my secret seaside life that Emily always <laughs> thinks I've made up. I love
2: there. pool pottery and pool harbour there we go. and everything around that. However, the whole experience of my childhood is marred by the fact that I got chased on Brownsey Island probably about the age of 10 by... I think apparently it was one peacock, but in my dream it was definitely a pack because they were savage towards me. And all I remember, and over the years it's got worse and worse, but I remember actually running across a kind of a lawn and then diving into my parents' arms with all these peacocks actually out to get me. Um, so I was reminded of this fear. Well, every time I see a peacock, I'm reminded of this fear. And I have, it's such, um, it's, it's scares me so much that whenever I see a peacock, so and they're always really glamorous places aren't they so really regal places and I might be dressed in a beautiful, I don't know, ball gown or whatever and you will see me having a mental breakdown (laughs) over the peacock
0: I love it it, because it's such an elevated phobia it's like an
2: Anne Boleyn phobia
0: it's like saying I'm just absolutely terrified of (laughs) cashmere. Please don't bring your cashmere yeah. anywhere
1: near me. <laughs> yes. Cashmere makes me really allergic. I'm really allergic to cashmere. It's a, it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, brilliant. But so apart yeah. from that, but you are actually, apart from the I'm absolutely fine, you are actually good today. Today Can you tell I'm us good. a bit about
2: this? So really recently, um, I um, had a snowball of good news, um, which is great. Um, so I have incurable cancer on paper. So I have metastatic bowel cancer. I was diagnosed about three years ago and I've undergone loads and loads of different treatments. We should say
0: that um that deborah's lived this in public with um the Big C The Very Successful podcast. Yeah. And you really have opened yourself up to everything that was going yeah, on to share that. Very much
2: so like the highs and the lows and kind of documented it through Instagram. Like I call myself Bow Babe. I do not think I'm hot. I just think it was a kind of the most polar opposite view I could have thought of of bowel cancer and that's kind of why I started it and it was either
0: a bowel babe or bowel bitch
2: (laughs) (laughs) there is actually a bowel bitch oh Uh, yeah bitch bitch. she got (laughs) that (laughs) first. no I realised that there was this um uprising of like all these different names so when I first started I'm not saying I led it but when I first started I could have any bowel related (laughs) kind of thing I should have just brought up the whole kind of Instagram bowel related kind of you need to own bowel I need to just own bow, and now suddenly there was like then bow man, bow cancer man, bow business, bow, bow babies or something like. And it was just every. This is everything now. Oh. Everything's taken. Um. So yeah, I just called myself bow babe, and then just wrote under that um guise, I suppose, because she's way cooler than me. Um. And then She's recently, spent quite a lot
1: of her, you've spent quite a lot of the first year on Instagram dressed as a poo, though. So. Oh, absolutely! <laughs>
2: I just kind of thought nothing like dressing as a poo to raise awareness in heels. Um, always heels, by the way. Deborah hills. is
1: wearing like unbelievably high shoes for a, for a random. Yeah, we're both day. in trainers. These are, these,
2: are my, like, these are my non-high shoes. These are my walk around town shoes. Okay. <laughs> but in terms of, um, so recently, um, despite, I've been on some targeted therapies, so I've had bowel resection, lung resection, lots of different operations, and people can follow my, my story. Um, but then recently, literally last week, um, I was told that there's no evidence of active disease. Now, however you want to use the language around that, that means right now, today, and I'm going to say that, yeah. um, I'm cancer free, and I'm you know, doing it in inverted commas, which um, is quite surprised. a miracle to hear that news yeah it is a miracle so statistically um, with metastatic bowel cancer around uh, survival rates are around 8% for five years for five years yeah I'm like three three and a half down three and a bit down the line and um, what you know, the the line is very much, you know, in the first couple of years um, that most people will, will die. Um, how, when it's caught early, you can survive. How did
0: you catch it? How did you know?
2: So I was pooing blood. Like, no. I'm going to be really honest. Um, I was pooing blood. I had to change about habits. Um, But I was a really busy working mum of two, and you just kind of plough on. I I mean, I knew the blood thing was different, but it was fresh blood. So I know this is a bit gross to listen to, but um, a lot of... You then just assume it's hemorrhoids. Yeah. Um, And actually, um, it wasn't. um, But there's a misconception that actually, oh, it's fresh blood, don't worry about it. Any blood get checked. Any change about habits get checked, because... As a result, I was then dismissed because I was young, fit, healthy, active, working out.
1: Yes, no, you're just forever, you are a vegetarian. Yes, yeah, still and vegetarian, And you also, yeah. I mean, you're a runner, aren't you? So you used to run to your treatments,
2: but so you... You exactly. were dismissed by who? By my doctors, um, mainly because if you look at me, I don't look ill. That sounds really awful. No, you don't. Um, but I don't look ill. And I mean, retrospectively, weirdly, I look better now than I did... Um, you know, before I had cancer, which I think says it all, really. Um, but I only now know that retrospectively in terms of when I look back at those pictures. But what, you, you look sort of weirdly tired or something off I or something? I a bit like, peaky. Is it a peaky, yeah. bit peaky? But I would only know that. You think you're just a tired working
0: mother. And you just think
2: you're knackered. So you go to the
0: doctor and they send you home?
2: They just sent me for... T- well, this is, again, a scary fact, that I was sent for blood tests and um, screen like a poo screening, um, and they all came back normal. Really? And that's very common how with is that possible. Because Is it the wrong test? It's the wrong test. It doesn't always show up. Like yes, with the, the poo screening, absolutely, but we now know it's not fit for purpose, which is why it's changing here in the UK. Um, and that's a whole different conversation that it's just I geek out over, but most listeners will not. <laughs> <laughs> Basically get screened. Um, but essentially, yeah, um it's not how it's it's um uh diagnosed and and really the golden standard for diagnosis is a colonoscopy if you've had a change about habits and there's no easy explanation for that um eventually i had a colonoscopy done um how eventually um it was about six months after i had my initial it's symptoms which is a long time in, cancer, long world, time in cancer world and that's possibly six weeks that, is a long time six isn't weeks it? is a long time and that's possibly the difference between me what might have been a diagnosis at an early stage, so an early stage being kind of stage one or stage yeah. two, when actually bowel cancer is totally and utterly curable. Um, you know, there's always outliers, but the reality is that you have over a 90% chance of survival when wow. it's caught early, and then it plummets to eight when it's caught at mine at your level. So by the time I was diagnosed, it was already metastasized into my lungs and, was and that then six into months my liver
1: from your symptoms. As in, from when you noticed, or from when you actually went to the doctor, because I think lots of people notice changes, but take a few months to kind yeah. of—is of, it going to go away? Is it going to—is it going to change? Maybe I'm just being paranoid, and you know that's the thing, isn't it? Especially, well, you're a bit you're younger than we are but you know at 45 you start thinking everything is a symptom of something
2: yeah so i think so it, it took a good couple of months for me to go to the doctor right. to start so with. so we're talking about 8 months yeah, of living with cancer of living and not with knowing cancer, not would knowing. you
0: would you advise anyone to insist on a colonosc- colonoscopy
2: like not insisting straight away but i think going to your doctor straight away and getting the ball rolling and and also if you're not um satisfied if you know, i knew that there was something wrong with me and I think it's all too easy to kind of say, um, oh, that test is fine, and not ask the right questions. If you know that something is wrong, be persistent. And there's an argument to say, oh, you shouldn't have to be persistent in today's world, you know, it should just well, be clearly handed you to you, should. But you should. Yeah. You're the only one that knows your body, and it's really easy when you then go into a doctor's surgery, or you go to see a GP, or whatever it is, to kind of not actually give the correct information. And I think it's just understanding If something's wrong, get it checked, Um, and yeah, be persistent about that. If you're not happy, and that applies to almost everything. Everything Am I I right in
0: thinking that at this time your marriage was also in trouble?
2: Yeah. So just um, it was just before that, actually. So um, just before. So while. So actually, during the time. So let me take you back a little bit. For a year before my diagnosis, a year and a bit before my diagnosis, me and my husband were living separately. See, we were about to get divorced. I mean, you know, I've I've said that before. And um, then... Has, so this is a. Story, it's not really a story. I think it's uh, the grass isn't always greener. So uh, you know, t- t- Tinder dating, couple of kids, really interesting. <laughs> Quite I have to tell you you loads of stories about that. Yeah. Um, they were at the time seven and nine. By the time, so actually they were six and. So you're separated.
0: So. You're a deputy head teacher. You yep. have two small children. Full time working mother. You're dating and you've got cancer. <laughs> yeah, that well, is well, no, know about tapestry. Cancer. Yeah, <laughs> so I
2: didn't know that. I had no, I know, but that you did. Awesome. But in that year when, so this is why things can get so easily dismissed, because in this year where I had all these life changes, um, it's so easy to then blame it on stress.
1: Of course. To say, no wonder I'm
2: tired. This is happening.
1: No wonder I feel underpowered.
2: And yeah. also everyone will be saying that to you. Don't everyone panic. was. Of course you're stressed. Of course it was. Everyone was saying, oh, you're fine, but don't worry. It, look, you're undergoing a lot of emotional turmoil at the moment. Of course it goes to your guts, of course it changes, must be IBS, all those kind of things that statistically it probably is. Um, however, I was the outlier. And
0: So you'd been living separately, and so what happened with your marriage around the time of your diagnosis? Well, so
2: before my diagnosis, so um, we, we then, um, actually, um, we decided to see a marriage counsellor to... Um, we we tried to see one before but it was never going to work and then we decided because we were so you know you know what anyone who's gone through a divorce will know how horribly bitter it can get and we actually decided to see a marriage counselor to have an amicable divorce which i think is quite um even retrospectively, it was probably quite sensible to try to do it. Um, and then what happened was we actually quite enjoyed because it was a regular thing. We ended up turning it into like a date. <laughs> so you go out for dinner after counselling. Go for dinner, and suddenly <laughs> you're like, "Oh, I'm not enjoying the counselling, but I'm really enjoying going on a date with you." So then we started dating again. That's so funny. Also, I suppose if you spent a year
1: knowing what's out there on Tinder and you're actually oh, the like, grass no, isn't green, Yeah, I quite <laughs> like no. you actually,
2: and you're nice, and you know. All so right. you were dating your husband at yeah. the point of diagnosis. Yeah, and we were living separately and then we moved back in together like almost um it kind of all happened. We were talking within like a week of each other in terms of actually. Because
0: there you know. are, you hear all sorts of stories about what happens in relationships around cancer. Yeah. You hear lots of stories of women being left because the men can't cope. That's
2: incredibly common.
0: I'm finding incredibly that out more common. and more now, actually. I hear that a lot. Yeah. Um, but yours is sort of the opposite.
2: It's kind of the opposite. I'm not going to lie and pretend it's all plain sailing. Um, I would say that it's um, it makes you go, yeah, we want to be together, but you've also got quite a lot of crap to sort out because.
0: Literally.
2: You know, because, <laughs> literally, because you're kind of coping with, um, you're coping with building a marriage, but then suddenly you're building a marriage when you think one of you might die. And then you suddenly don't think you're going to die. And then you've got all your kind of historical crap. I'm not allowed to say shit. I mean, yeah, say sorry. Um, uh, then you've got all your historical shit to sort out, layered on top of the fact that you've got the cancer pressure. I mean, that is a mind it's a mind screw. fuck. Absolutely. A- oh, I'm glad that you said fuck. Yeah. It is a mind fuck. Yeah, total. And people who Whose mind
0: was more fucked? Yours or his?
2: Oh, that is a good question. (laughs) No, because I don't know. Because I would say, oh, that is a really, because I actually think probably his. Mm. Because because if you are the patient, so almost leaving marriage aside anyway, if you're the patient in a cancer world, you just have to do what you have to do. You're kind of told, right, do this treatment you know, you're gonna live, you're gonna die, or whatever it might be. If you're the, it's not a carer, um, if you're the helpless partner, or friend or relative there is nothing you can do about it no you're it. totally pa- just watch and, and I tell you what, one study. thing I wanted to
0: talk to you about was was I think people are very frightened of how to talk with people who oh, have yeah. had a cancer diagnosis yeah, yeah. You don't. first of all you don't believe that you can share anything that's going on with you because it just doesn't compare so that would be selfish yeah. also there's always the risk of the kind of head tilt you know the universal yeah. language of pity and how would you suggest that the best yeah. way to react to someone who comes to you with a you know in your case catastrophic diagnosis yeah
2: so I would say it's so interesting that you said that in terms of you don't feel that you can share your personal stuff, because I think a lot of my friends, at first, didn't think that they could. And I would say it's only now three years down the line when you, well, actually at any point, A, you get bored talking about your own cancer, but you also, um, it's not that important. Other people have shit going on in their lives. It might not be cancer, and it might not be a matter of life or death, but, you know, I've had friends going through divorces, which just, awful i um, i'm not saying all divorces are awful but the ones i know it's are it's a bloody are. business isn't yeah. it um and you know in terms of the emotional upheaval of that um it is it's hard i've had friends with kids who haven't been very well with family members the dynamic you, you know yeah no and no did it, you realize like that like people were holding
0: things back but people from hold you. things
2: back and you'd of hear course. it from someone else Yeah.
1: and then you're like why didn't you tell me because
0: you have cancer oh
1: and then that's then you're just reminded again i mean yes. it also
0: yes. does i would imagine that also to a certain extent doesn't protect you but maybe it makes you feel even more like an outsider it
2: makes you feel even more isolated and also i think people have this misconception that you have cancer you have to wrap yourself in cotton wool i did i genuinely thought i would live in a cocoon for six months put my head down get through it and emerge a disheveled wreck um and then rebuild my life like i'm a girl with a plan and that's what i thought was my plan And it's a misconception about, you know, the longer term side effects with cancer, living with cancer, what it actually looks like. Yes, you can still go shopping. Uh, Genuinely, I genuinely thought I wasn't going to leave my house for six months. Yeah. I tell you
0: I think think what one thinks about, apart from surgery and and fear and everything it's going to take out of you, you think about chemotherapy and the fact that you're going to be bald, vomiting and very susceptible to all illnesses. So you will have to live in a sort of Michael Jackson style bubble um, until that. Just sort of go chemotherapy almost starts to feel like the devil rather than the disease itself from the outside,
2: and it is like it is in terms of so I have more side effects from my treatment than I do from my cancer at the moment. That's what I know it will flip eventually. A friend of mine who, um,
0: who was diagnosed with cancer said that until she started having chemo, she felt really well,
2: yeah. Apart from my like change of bowel habits, which weirdly, I mean, I um, yes, I didn't feel um great but I was still running a school I was working 16 hours a day and I'd been skiing the week before I got told I had stage 4 cancer you know I was fine yeah. <laughs> in terms of in the grand scheme of things. Um, my um, problems now are very much as a result of well, I've got lots of problems, but as a result, my medical problems are as a result of my <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I think we all do. Yeah. Um, my medical problems are very much as a result of my major operations. So I had no symptoms. I had I had eight lung tumours, and I had absolutely wow. no symptoms. I ran a ten k. The day before I then went to see my surgeon who told me you've got 8 tumors in your lungs and we're about oh. to chop out some of your lungs. Oh. I had no symptoms in my liver and I had four tumors in my liver. But this is very common when it's when you're being monitored and then suddenly it's caught at an early stage. It's not like that later like later on absolutely. You will and so get how symptoms. many operations have you had? I had to count the other day for something and I've had 10, which wow. is, you know, I know loads of people have had loads, but um, I've had 10 in the last three years. Um, and as a result um, of those operations, I do have a lot of side effects because my body is basically full of scar tissue yeah. Okay. Um, or, you know, bits of my lung missing, or bits of my bowel and that takes its toll, really. How do, yeah. you, how do you deal with telling your
0: children and then realising that they're going to have to live with it along with you?
2: Yeah, so I was just really honest from day one, because I think because I've worked as a teacher, um, I, was a, I was doing an interview the other day and I, I realised actually something about myself in terms of I've got quite a hard no side to me. Um, I don't really know why. I think I think my upbringing of just like, come on, get on with it. I used to be a national gymnast um, and that makes
0: me think of those of that of like, what was that film called? I, Tonya, <laughs> I
2: don't, no, I wasn't quite that, that makes me think of
0: you, four in the morning, I just think of tiger core, mother.
2: Tiger mother, no, my yeah. mum was not tissues, a tiger mom. But like I think I was just very much like, had that grew up with a mentality of a kind of, you do something rubbish on the beam, you get back on and you do it again. And um, I think that was probably a really good upbringing for where I am right now in my life um because there's
0: an emotional discipline to that as well isn't there yeah
2: there is but i'm also quite an unemotional person i think i'm quite a hard nosed bitch half the time <laughs> anyone that knows me really well says knows that i don't really do the whole i love yous
0: iron woman
2: <laughs> i'm just quite i've always been like that cancer or not i'm just quite a, like a
1: you're just like come on get on with it get on with it so with the kids you were like this has happened this is the potential outcome yeah let's I think- just let's
2: let's let's, let's do it. Do think, your homework. Yeah, do your homework. No, because it's true, because they need, regardless of yeah. this whole emotional upheaval, children need, still need, um, I don't, you know, I'm not a three-line whip kind of person, but they need structure and they need routine and they need support when they're growing up. And, and obviously lots of love and all these different other kind of fluffy things but in terms of um, I think for me I approached it from a deputy head point rather than from a parental perspective so the parent inside of me could have been like oh no I want to protect my kids and I you know really emotional and there were there are days that are like that of course we're not human if we don't think like that but the other side of me has seen the other side of the coin and the other side of the coin are kids that um, haven't been told the truth by their parents and I saw this all the time as a deputy um, whose mother or father or a family member were actually going to be fine, but they jumped to the worst case conclusion. On top of that, they then used it as an excuse to cock up their own lives. Yeah. And I think I think I was quoted the other day, and I stand by this quote. I I said to my kids, if you cock up my cock up your life because of my cancer, I will never. You know that is not what I want for you. You know I want them to be really resilient because you can't. There's you know let's face it, you can't spend your whole life. Oh yeah, sorry. You know I need to. Um, uh, you know, stay in bed all day because... Uh, My uh, mum had cancer when I was seven. Exactly. I totally agree. I Does think, that make yeah. sense? That's yeah, a yeah, bit, yeah. I get that I can be criticised for that because that's quite a harsh, harsh message. But I think it's, it's, a, it's a message that I stand but by. But in the actually. way, you
0: choose the mistakes you make. Yes. You know, whatever you were going to... However you are going to handle your kids, however any of us, cancer or no cancer, handle our kids we're all going to make mistakes. You just sometimes, if you can have an awareness around the ones that you don't want to make, yeah. at least you're doing things consciously and yeah. doing the best you can.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're just trying to do the best that you can in that environment. I suppose you? also, you know,
1: I think having
2: someone who's being tough about things
1: will be very reassuring because yeah. actually what you don't want, I read this brilliant thing about parenting, so basically you just need to be the side of the pool. If your children's life is a pool, they're swimming in it and they'll push very hard away against you or they'll hang yes. on to it for, for dear life but they just want you to be
2: also if you
0: deborah stop being tough they would be like "Mm -mm, yeah this isn't mum this is something's really terribly wrong and i
2: think um it's also a coping mechanism because i think when you are facing something really serious you use the kind of um black and whiteness as a coping mechanism just to kind of say no you'll be fine because the last thing i would want is if i were to die that my kids would be so um, uh, not resilient to be able to cope with that situation. The yeah. thing that I want more than anything for my children is to be resilient in life. Yeah, uh, Because I think then you can kind of bounce away from anything, can yeah. bounce, you know, carry on bouncing um, in a positive way. Also, presumably, you can't really either,
1: face with that diagnosis, spend your, your time playing with the what-ifs either. Like, no. that must be very hard internally to sit there and go, well, what if I... OK, well, do I need to manage if this is going to happen, if this is going to be the outcome? Yeah. So it's and probably easier to just be like, this is what we're going through now. This is how we're going to... This is These are the steps that we're going to take. Let's not...
0: Do your homework.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs>
2: do your homework.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> or or what, not. What was,
0: um, what was the, the lowest point for you? What was the hardest um, bit for
2: you? That's a good question. So um, for me, over the last three years, um, just... Uh, seeing a lot of friends die.
0: Because that your podcast, your co-podcaster Rachel. My co-host Rachel,
2: Rachel died and wow. then obviously recording with her and seeing her seeing her die was um horrible. Um I wasn't with her when she died, but we recorded up to ten days before she did. And I think I I naively actually when I look back retrospectively thought it would be okay until until about a week before her death when I suddenly realised it's not going to be okay. And I remember oh. having a off the cuff conversation with one of my oncologists at the time, and explained how how ill she actually was. And oh. they said they actually sat me down and said, "Debbie, you do know that I don't think that she's going to pull through." And that was my first realization. And she died a week later, and I was suddenly like, "Oh, it does happen." to everyone regardless of how positive cuz I was so So did that directly connect with your
0: own experience yeah, as well yeah
2: absolutely and i think and don't get me wrong, and and um over the over the last 3 years the number of people um, that i have written about talked about who um i mean you almost become um numb to i have to become quite numb to it and it's really lovely online because um somebody might die and then um if people know that maybe I'm friends with them or whatever, I'll get a barrage of messages saying, Are you okay? And I'm like, Yeah, no, actually I'm fine, it's nothing about me and I think I it does come crumbling down at sometimes, but if I were to overthink every person that I've met that is now not here, I don't think I would be able to function. No.
1: No, I think... I mean, exactly. Because Couldn't it's get up hideous. And be, oh, so awful. Like,
2: to think about all those families and all those lives, I just would crumble. So it is a, Like it is an, an, an oncologist act. must have to do. Absolutely. Yeah. How people do that job, I just do not they know. They have to
0: deliver this news. I mean, oh, God. You,
2: did you... Yes, I mean... It would just be awful. And no. I do. I have the side to me where I can absolutely crumble, and that does happen. But I, I think the challenge is you can only exist in that state for a certain amount of time.
0: Because you live, you're very embedded at the, you know, radiant at the heart of the sort of cancer community. And I'm not sure there was a cancer community no. a few years ago. I think you were very powerful in, in, in igniting that. But, you know, when I think back, I was talking to um, a friend of mine about her grandmother who died of cancer. And it was a very shameful thing. Really and shameful, And she died yeah. and the children were never told why. No. Um, and you. so the idea that we've gone from, you know, in, you know, in 70 years, from there to here, where there, where it's, it, I mean, I don't want to say celebration, but I want to say
2: it's normal, it's normal, yeah. it, normalising, and I think. Um, but you guys
1: have changed the cultural conversation around cancer. You've made it possible for people to, to to either in the same position or you know I, expecting I, a diagnosis or whatever to kind of see you've given them permission to ask a million questions in a way that they wouldn't have done before. And also, also
0: I think that what you've done is you've allowed people to be more than just cancer. Yes. Because I think historically we've all been guilty of, of, of viewing someone with cancer as just a Oh, now she's just a person with cancer.
2: Yeah, bald head, sitting like grey, dull, dreary. Um, certainly not with heels. Kind of yours. it happens to other people. Is my image of cancer. Um, and I just thought, the more I now understand about cancer, the more you realise you sit round a room, and it it is any one of us. Yeah. And you have this assumption that um, you you know you have to be unfit, unhealthy all these different things to have cancer, and it's not like that. No. It can just, it, it can be a toss of In its fact,
0: own. am I right that this is really broad? Yeah. But sort of the healthier you are, the worse it is if you get cancer because your cells are busy multiplying and everything's, you yeah. know, firing. So, it, so
2: I'm not sure, in terms of the science side of that, I'm not sure the internet is, All I do know is that it's a bit of a greyer. I'm sure one day we will realise that most cancers have a cause whether genetically or um lifestyle so about 50% of cancers are directly as a cause of lifestyle so lifestyle being um smoking smoking, drinking drinking, um smoking is actually the main cause of lifestyle cancers um the other 50% is just one of those things we we kind of um know um and not speaking from a you know pretending to know it but there are specialists that I speak to that do we all have cancerous cells in our body and our body at any one time, this is my interpretation, so you know, if you're listening, please do your proper research. <laughs> um, my interpretation is that our bodies at any one time will always produce cancerous cells and then our own immune system will just probably wipe them out. Whack but about off. 50% of the time it will then become a cancer. Um, most people will probably die with some form of cancer in their body but they won't die with of it, it with rather it, than from, yeah, it. from it. They say that about prostate cancer. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the key change, I would say, say which is probably why the need to show how we can live with cancer which has come about really recently is so in the last 40 years so since i've been born um when i was born the average person lived with cancer for around a year across all cancers wow it's incredible isn't it it's totally bonkers now 40 years later because of research so cancer was rightly so a death sentence yes yeah um, you very, re- you, know, you you know, didn't really survive cancer, if I'm being honest with you. And you, we probably all have distant relatives or older relatives who might have died from cancer. Now the difference is that more people will live for 10 years after they've been diagnosed than will die from it. Okay, that's um, amazing. Which is amazing. And um, so people are now living with cancer or living with the side effects of cancer. So you have to find a way to do that. So you have to find a way to do yeah. that. And with one and two of us getting it, yeah, whilst on average you will be older, so the average diagnosis is older, Um, the earlier we catch the cancers the younger that's going to be but that's great because that means we can survive it and live with it Um, but suddenly it has to not be a dirty word Yes, Yes. it is just part of our life almost part of kind of like how we manage heart disease, diabetes whatever it is we just have to learn to be body aware and manage it in our life and educate I've been asked really stupid questions sorry if you asked me this question (laughs) but like oh now that you're cancer free what are you going to do with your life? as though I'm going to go around the world on a massive trip and I was thinking, I'm back in the hospital having a treatment. Like, this is a whole education in itself. What does living with even disease-free cancer look like? And it's maintenance. I have to still be monitored still. It's probably going to come back. So we have to look out for that. Nothing changes. And I think it's just that it's a lack of education around what cancer today looks like. Yeah. How
0: did you feel when they said cancer-free? Is it like right and... Do that is homework. just part of the disease that continues I mean you, you presume you don't go you know you, you do you jump with joy
2: what, how, what do you do no so for me it's um so I actually interviewed an oncologist about this a couple of days ago because um I was writing a piece on what does it actually mean to be cancer free um and I think it's really interesting because um we don't it's all semantics and it's all the use of language as we know can be incredibly misleading at times and it's it's kind of with people like me there's no data to say what will happen right so we honestly do not know what will happen if you were a betting man you would say it would come back in like next scan right which which would be when which would be in a couple of months wow okay if you if we're lucky and luck is on our side and the drugs will work maybe I'll get a little bit longer but you just we do not actually know because there is hardly anybody out there in my position Um, even in America, kind of around the world, like we are the new wave who will create the data for people coming through. So the key difference is the way that we are now treating cancers is it's personalized. I have a mutation, that mutation is targeted. Um, The problem is that what people don't get about cancer is cancer is always evolving. So if um, the cancer, At some point, if you imagine a roadblock, you always have to find your way around the roadblock. So, cancer is so clever that it just, you can put the roadblocks out, which is what we've done by targeting it. And then nine times, not nine times, but certain cancers are really clever and they'll find a different pathway around right. at some point. So like a terrible Google Maps.
0: I was thinking like Is a terrible it? leak in the roof because I'm obsessed <laughs> with damp patches <laughs> in the fucking house.
2: And it doesn't mean, it's just it's so complex. It doesn't mean it always happens like that.
0: That's um, an incredibly weird way to live.
2: It's so weird. I mean,
0: sorry to be sort of
2: no. cloddish, but I mean, you know, it's, 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 you don't know what's going to, Wow. You don't know what's going to happen. And so there are... And I Because we're all told to plan.
0: Plan your finances. Live in the future. Roadmap. <laughs> Five-year plan. All that stuff. I mean, I'm, which I, I disagree with all of that in a way. But, but you can't
2: really no, do I that. No, I can't really do that. Even now I can't do that. And so I do find it very strange because even when you speak to oncologists about it, they know that with certain cancers today, um, actually, when they are cured early, you can say that doesn't mean a different cancer won't come back into your body ten years later. But but for that, for that, we can draw a line under that one. We can draw a line, yeah. and we know that the data is there. You know that positively. There's always outliers, but you can kind of move on. With um, with people, you just you, I actually interviewed a couple of people the other day, and they've been told five times cancer free and then it's come back and you know even five years later you just don't know Um, and you know if if we take Rachel my late colleague as an example um, we are both the outliers in the polar opposite end so Rachel had breast cancer a really high chance of survival in terms of her type of breast cancer when it was caught she's not here And I'm the polar opposite. You had the 8%. I had the 8%. She had the 92%. Wow. So it's not, you know, you can can think that it's okay, but it's just not. You just have to kind of, my oncologist says, one step at a time. Which is a nightmare for, like, planning your life. I was about to say, because you're a planner
1: too, so... Yes. Yeah, so you're like, okay, well... Yeah. So how far ahead can you plan? Do you go, okay, in, in a month we're going to... Like for holidays or whatever, do you like... Or, or, no, I book all you, my holidays. You're last so minute. last minute, aren't you?
2: So last minute, day before. Just like,
1: okay, we're going.
2: Oh, so genuinely, like, um, with the exception of the Christmas holiday I've been on, um, which was about three weeks before, which was the longest I've booked a holiday um, <laughs> before. Uh, actually, no, it was two weeks before we booked that. Um, I have literally... Come out of a hospital appointment, known that I've had a two week window that I should be stable and got on a plane like the next morning to Ibiza with everybody. Um, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. It depends, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, because I, I get that that's a luxury to be able to do that, um, or to be able to afford to do that, or whatever it is to be able to have the flexibility in my life to do that. But, um, I, I if I had to stick to a half 10 plan it wouldn't work
0: and have your friends and the people around you the people who love you found a way to talk to you about it is it now just woven into the fabric of everybody's lives
2: very much so i think at first nobody knew what to do um not criticism but i think well you probably didn't know what to do i didn't know what to do so i just wrote about it um because i think it was the only way i could find an outlet to do anything with um but i would say um now um I take great pleasure, and I did all the time, but you forget it. I want to know what is happening in my friends' lives, and I'm much more interested in it, because you know what, like I said before, life goes on,
0: but also I would imagine apart from the fact that you, you care it's a distraction
2: oh it's a great distraction I remember having um, a friend once saying to me um, so what's going on with this cancer malarkey and I just thought oh, I love that <laughs> <laughs> and then proceeded to tell me about all her dates and her disastrous dates and I just thought oh, I, I love, love you it. for it because that it's is, just so much right. more interesting
1: because if you put everything out online I feel like I could can, I can ask you anything yes. which is great but if it was someone else I don't yes, think I'd I, be able I'm to I'm go I'm not
0: sure we could say this to a normal <laughs> cancer no. yes, exactly, person exactly now like, maybe you know that be, be good. I think you've empowered a lot of people people with cancer and oh. people without cancer and I think you're an amazing trailblazer oh
2: thank you I no, don't I feel like a trailblazer I just feel like a girl who just wanted to carry on being a yeah, girl but no trailblazer.
1: <laughs>
0: but, I mean trailblazers shouldn't feel like trailblazers essentially oh. oh, so you're,
1: you're running the bloody marathon I was like if anyone has a fucking excuse not to run the marathon it is you <laughs> yeah, exactly like, you exactly.
0: <laughs> would think if you had cancer you would at least be able to say no I, I'm not sure I'm going to run the marathon this year
2: but there you go she is running the marathon are you doing it for charity I'm the Royal Marsden, which is a hospital that. Uh, so, how do we sponsor me. you
0: on Instagram? Well, through Instagram. If
2: I was really organised, I would have like some link or something. Basically, if you too follow, far like, ahead. Too far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> much planning basically i'm i'm sure that anyone that follows me on instagram will hear me bang on about it and then you'll probably unfollow me because i'll be banging on about it way too much <laughs> but at some point i'm going to be talking about it we
0: just have to say thank you so yeah, much for everything so much. that you've done and for coming on today
2: oh, thank no you thank Bye. you for having me
0: you've been listening to annabelle rifkin and emily McMeekin of the Mid alt our book i'm absolutely fine is out now if you like what you've heard please rate review and subscribe And we'll just leave you with this thought, I may not know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it.